I'm really excited for Pastor Mark Schilling. Thank you. Well, good morning, everybody. Some people are blaming me for the bad weather around here, and I, I, just, I just think it's unfair, you know, but I'm not sure what, what Florida brings for weather, but it's exciting to be here. And uh, today we begin our, our Christmas series, and I love this time of year. My kids are getting older, but whenever I can drag them to sit still for two hours, I love watching Christmas movies. They get all nostalgic this time of year, but the real point of uh, this season is Jesus. And as a church, we really want to put a, a big spotlight on Jesus during the season. And today we begin uh, on the topic of hope. When we talk about Advent, it's a Latin word that we don't use much, but it really means coming or arrival. And as we think about Advent, we're remembering two things. One, that, that Jesus came, but also exciting is that Jesus is going to come again. And I want to begin with a passage from uh, the book of Luke, chapter 24. It's not always a, a passage that's used classically for Advent, but I think it's going to teach us the lesson that we need to learn today. And it says this, uh, beginning in verse 13. Now that same day, two of them were going to the village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. Remember in Jerusalem, Jesus had been crucified and he'd been buried. And he asked them, what are you discussing together as you're walking along? And they stood still and their faces became downcast. And one of them named Clopas said to him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, Jesus said. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and the rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. And I want you to see these words and how pregnant they are with emotion. But we had hoped, we had hoped, we had hoped, that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's a third day since it took place. You have to understand in the Jewish tradition, three days being dead, you're dead dead. You're not kind of dead, you're, it's done. And they said it's three days, so it's, not only has our hope been deferred, there's no chance anymore. Our hope is, is gone. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb. That's my wife's life verse, by the way. Some of the women amazed us. That's a good verse for you ladies. Forget it. I'm moving along. <laughs> they went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find the body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. They said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all the prophets had spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and enter into glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. I want to just pause there in verse 27 and let you know that Jesus is all throughout 
the Old Testament. Jesus doesn't just appear in the New Testament. He appears through all the Old Testament. And Jesus himself in this moment is teaching them this lesson. He's trying to say, I want you to see where Jesus has been, himself, had been throughout the Old Testament. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if they were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in and stayed with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread and gave thanks and broke it and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were open and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, each other, were not our hearts burning within us? Well, he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us. This is the word of the Lord to us today, Good News Church. I want to read a quote on the topic of hope because I want you to see that they were walking and they were discouraged because their hope had been, or they thought their hope had been completely dashed. This, this man named Jesus rose up and they thought, surely he's the one. And he said, we had hoped. Someone said this, Christian, Christians can often confuse the word hope for wishful thinking. If we hope something will happen, we have no control over whether or not it will take place. But the biblical sense of hope is very different. Hope in the Bible exists as a secure assurance. I think it's up there. Good. A trust placed in a trustworthy God. God has not failed us in the past, and therefore, if he claims he will do something in the future, we can have a hope that he will fulfill that claim. Hope waits and endures. It isn't flimsy or merely wishful thinking. It can withstand fire, trials, and despair. This is the hope that we talk about when we talk about hope during Christmas. I forgot on the way to church to do something as an illustration, but I forgot to buy a lottery ticket. So my chances of winning now have just declined a lot. I won't ask you who right now might have a lottery ticket in your purse. I'm not going to make you raise your hand at church, but you get a dollar. It used to be called a, you'd say a dollar in a dream. Now it's $2 in a dream, right? But there's inflation. So you, you get this ticket, and the chances are like one in literally 300 million to win the lottery. And you hold it up, you say... I hope I win. I hope I win. That is not the word that we're talking about. See, I, I, I put some things down here. Uh, for instance, the, the hope that my, my sons or my daughter become president is one in 32.6 million. You have 11 million to one chance of dying in a plane crash. Uh, a, a nine million to one shot of being struck by lightning twice. And making it to the NBA is one in 11,700. So that's not bad. We can go for that one. Maybe, maybe that'll happen. But the lotto amazes me, isn't it? You, you, people spend money consistently for the lotto. The scratch-offs really bother me. I just got to tell you, like, from a fundamental standpoint, because you, you pay five bucks, and you scratch it, and it's, like, over. Like, like you hope, it, nope, nope, it's gone. At least with a $2 ticket, you could have two days 
worth of hope. You know, like, it, it's the drawings not till Tuesday, so you can dream, but the scratch off, it's over just immediately. So I'm always to tell people, at, you know, number one, they're holding me up at the, at the 7-Eleven, just buy the $2 ticket because you have two days of fun. I mean, you're going to lose no matter what. Just Y'all going to lose, but at least you can enjoy it for two days, you know. See, that's not the hope Jesus offers us. This empty hope, not two days, but 2,000 years or 4,000, and he, oh, he doesn't come back. That is not the hope that Jesus offers us. But so many times we put ourselves or we, we submit ourselves or we hope in things with that kind of lottery hope. Not a Jesus hope, an empty hope. Uh, I hope that, it, that I get married. I was a youth pastor for many years. Oh, I hope that if I got married, it would make me happy. I'd hope the job that I dreamed of getting would make me feel fulfilled. I'd hope that having kids would make life better. <laughs> I'd hope that more money would make me sleep better at night. I'd hope retiring would be the ultimate destination. And for some of us who have walked through those windows... It's, if there was like a soundtrack to all of those, it would be wah, wah, wah. You, you finally got the car. You finally got the new golf clubs. You finally got the boat. You finally got the wife or the husband or the kids or the grand. And there's this longing of something deeper in our souls that God put there. A hope that can only be satisfied by the person of Jesus Christ. And when these men were walking on the road to Emmaus, they had been submitting themselves to inferior hopes, longing for a higher hope in the person of Jesus Christ, not realizing that he was in their presence. Can you imagine for them? We had hoped that the longing of our soul. See, we have a longing in our soul that cannot be satisfied by anything other than Jesus. And this is the, the sermon I'm going to declare Every time I stand here, especially during Christmas, it's not found on Amazon. It's not found under a Christmas tree. It's found at the foot of a bloodstained cross because of Jesus Christ. He's our hope. Romans 5 says this, Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast, here it is, in the hope, confident assurance. So when you see the word hope, I want you to see confident assurance, not one in 300 million. It's a, we have this confident assurance of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. There it is again, confident assurance. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, it's not empty thinking. Biblical hope isn't hoping for better circumstances. It's waiting for God himself to show up right in the middle of where we're at. You see, so many times we think that what will make us happy or hope-filled will be the situations around us changing. 
But see, the message of the gospel is not that he changes the periphery of our life or the circumstances of our life, but he changes me in the middle of the circumstances. That now that I am in Christ and now that I'm a new creation and you're a new creation, we navigate this world differently than everyone else in this world. We look at money and relationships and, and joy and happiness and marriage and kids completely different because our hope is not in our circumstances. It's that God himself is able to show up in the middle of all of it. And see, biblical hope is a confident expectation and desire for good that's coming in the future. I want to read from um, Isaiah chapter 9 and, and uh, begin where... The Blake family ended, I'm going to begin there in verse 6. It says, for, us, for to us a child is born, and to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor. I want to, I want to hear these names, because we, we sing about these things, right? But I just want to just see the, just, just the gravity and the weight and, and, and the hope that's found in knowing that everything that's being said about who Jesus would be, he is. He's the Wonderful Counselor. He's a mighty God. Even, he's an everlasting father. He's a prince of peace. A prince of peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. And he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord will accomplish it. You know, as you look at the scriptures and begin from Genesis and read to Revelation, there are 8,810 promises made in the scriptures. 8,810 promises that are made in scripture. See, I try to be a good dad, and uh, I try to make sure that when I promise something, that I can actually make good on my promise to my, my kids. I've learned not to promise things that I have not talked to my wife about first. That's the number one rule. Why did you promise them that? Why did you say that? Why did, we didn't even talk about this. But I try to make promise and deliver, but, but sometimes I do it. Most times I do it. Sometimes I don't. For some reason, sometimes it's neglect. Sometimes I forgot. Sometimes whatever. I can fall short as a father with the promises I make to my kids. But the promises God makes to you, he will fulfill. Not everyone believes that. You know, you talk to people, they, they kind of nitpick at the Bible, say, oh, I believe this, and I believe that, or, you know, I believe 50% of them. 50%? Which ones are those? You know, I, I believe some of the promises, you know. And some people only believe uh, an eighth of, of the Scripture. You know what they call those people? Atheists. <laughs> that was terrible. That was terrible. That was terrible. That was terrible. Look at <laughs> atheist. Come on, that's such a bad dad joke. That's a bad grandpa joke. That's just it was, it was bad. Look at Second Corinthians says first. <laughs> okay, I gotta get back on track. Okay, whatever God has promised, gets stamped with the yes of Jesus. I love that. See, see all the promises of Scripture. When we read and we, with our mind's eyes, see Jesus Christ crucified, buried, and resurrected, we can know that everything God said he'll do, he'll do. Jesus is the proof of it. In him, 
This is what we preach and pray, the great amen. God's yes and our yes together, gloriously evident. God affirms us, making us a sure thing in Christ, putting his yes within us. By his spirit, he has stamped us with his eternal pledge, a sure beginning of what he has destined to complete. The promises of God are yes and amen. I want to read the story on June 30th, 1859, one of the greatest tightrope walkers in history, Charles Bloden, became the first man in history to walk across Niagara Falls. I think we have a picture of him up there somewhere. If we can throw it up there. Approximately 25,000 people watched him walk a thousand foot line suspended across the raging falls without any safety nets. When he safely reached the Canadian side, the crowd cheered with thunderous applause. On, a, on other occasions, he attempted to cross the falls once again. This time, however, he was walking with a wheelbarrow. The crowd gasped as he carefully loaded the front wheel of the wheelbarrow onto the tightrope. He turned to the crowd and asked if they believed he could do it using the wheelbarrow. Everyone cheered with approval. They all believed he could. He turned to a reporter who was covering that. He looked him straight and, and asked him a question. Do you believe I can tightrope across Niagara Falls with a wheelbarrow? Without blinking, the reporter yelled, yes, I do. You can do it. I believe it. Then Bowden paused and stared at the reporter and said, if you believe it, get in the wheelbarrow. Now, I'll tell you how the story ends. It wasn't with a reporter in a wheelbarrow. You know, they say we believe in Jesus, but, our, but our, do we truly believe in God's word and those 8,810 promises? Because to walk a walk of faith is not standing at a distance and saying, oh, I, oh, I hope in you. I, I hope that you can do it. No, hope is getting in the wheelbarrow and Jesus being in charge, leading us through the difficult, tumultuous seasons of life and saying, I might be scared, but I know Jesus is in control and I can put my confident assurance in him. See, God's given us the fivefold ministry, and one of the gifts is the gift of a teacher. And you'll often hear me quote some great teachers because I think it's important to learn from them as well. J.I. Packard says this, The Christmas message is that there is hope for ruined humanity, hope of pardon, hope of peace with God, hope of glory, because at the Father's will, Jesus became poor, and he was born in a stable, so that 30 years later, you might hang on a cross. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said the celebration of Advent is possible only to those who are troubled in soul, who know themselves to be poor and imperfect, and who look forward to something greater to come. I just want to share real quickly about four things. Putting out your hope in Jesus will give you these four things. Number one, hope for help. See, we are invited to come to Jesus. This is such good news. Hebrews 4.16 says, Come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. I want you to know in this season that we serve a God that invites you to come 
rushing into his presence. See, in the Old Testament, if you read the Old Testament, you see there was a, there was a holy place that only the priest could enter in only once a year. It was the, called the Holy of Holies. That was where the presence of God was to abide. And only the priest, only once a year could go in. And even when they went in, they would tie a rope to their ankle in case God would kill them and they had to drag their body out of the presence of God. But see, when Jesus died on the cross, something extraordinary happened. The Bible says it, and you might even miss it, but the Bible says the, the veil of the temple was ripped, not from the bottom to the top, but God himself ripped open the veil so that all of us could come right into that very presence that only a priest in the past can enter. We can now enter into the presence of God. What an amazing idea that me, you, who are we, that we could come right into the presence of God and plead our case before God and he welcomes us in. What's sadder is how often we don't go into his presence. How time can pass and we neglect even talking to this great God. I'll tell you what, if I could gather the Israelites in tents on that side of the building and tell them what's going on in here. What? You can go into the presence of God anytime? Yup, we can. When's you must go in there all the time. Well, I try to make it on Sundays around 10. What? Do you go on Mondays? Eh, once in a while. We would be in there all the time, they would say to you. They longed for it. They would gather around the outer courts and they would, they would hang on waiting to see what God would say to the priest for the people. See, now not only can God speak to me, he can speak to you. He can speak to anyone if only you would come. And receive the invitation this Christmas season to come boldly and receive the help that he offers. Number two is hope for victory. Hope for victory. I'd say life is hard and some of the trials are short. Some of the trials are long. Some of the trials look like money problems. Sometimes they look like marriage problems. Sometimes they look like health problems. And, and some of those things, you know, if maybe you're in college and you're trying to finish up, you know, by spring, there's a deadline and this trial will end. But maybe you have chronic illness and you just don't know if there'll ever be an end. Maybe you have marriage problems, you don't know if there'll ever be an end. Will I ever know victory? I feel like I'm just being crushed by my circumstances. But look what it says in first, uh, I'm sorry, second Corinthians. I'm, I'm sorry, I lost my place. First John 5, 4. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. I want to tell us, if you are in Christ and you are a new creation, we win. You may feel the victory in this life. You may not feel the victory in this life. You may not know victory till you enter the presence of God, but I can tell you with confident assurance, with great hope, that if you are in Christ, we will overcome. And whatever you're facing is temporary. See, the American dream is based around 82.5 years of life. But see, the gospel is not about 82.5 years of life. It's about eternity. We live, a, we live a vapor, the Bible says, a breath. This life here, whether it's 50 years or 100 years, it's a vapor compared to the eternity that we will live in one day. We are setting ourselves up for eternity in this life. And you may have to struggle and strain and trust and hope, but your hope will not be disappointed if 
Your hope is in Jesus Christ. I want to invite the worship team to come as I begin to kind of end our time together. But number three is this, is hope for sufficient grace. Sometimes we find ourselves in life with tasks and situations that feel too big for us. I've never been like that. I've never found a season of your life where you think, I don't know if I can handle this. And then, then when that happens, something else happens. And then Friday, another thing happens. Ever feel like that? And then they say, when it rains, it pours. And you're like, is this a joke, God? I remember... I, I was vacationing here a few years ago. I never, I mean, I haven't got, I used to get in car accidents pretty frequently when I was young. It was like a learning curve for me apparently as a, as a guy. But I did good. And then I rented cars for 25 years. I, I rented a car in Florida and two days in a row I got hit. Two days in a row. Now, Florida drivers, I don't know what to talk, I don't really want to get into it with y'all about Florida drivers. I want to stay holy up here, you know, but. Someone backs into me, no insurance, the whole thing. I'm like, oh, boy, oh, boy. So I'm stressed out, you know, you got to get a police report. The next day I'm at the hotel, hit, I get hit again. I literally go, God, what are you doing? Make this stop. You ever feel like that sometimes? I don't know if I can handle it. There's a phrase that I hate. I'll tell you what it is. God will never give you more than you can handle. I never heard that. You just want to tell those people, shut up. The truth is, God will never give you more than he can handle. God will never give you more than he can handle. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says this, my grace is, this is the best word here, sufficient for you. And my strength is made perfect in your weakness. Our hope is that whatever you're going through right now, there is a sufficient grace available to you to get you through the storm that you're in. And number four, I end here. This is the best one of all. Hope for eternity. Hope for eternity. First Peter 1, 3 through 6 says, Praise be to God, and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, in his great mercy has given us new birth into a living hope. I love that. Living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who, through faith, are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now, for a little while, you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. I pray by God's grace for us as a church in this season that we would look to Jesus as our hope, not, not as a one in a million shot, but a confident assurance that all that we need is found in Jesus. Would you stand to your feet? I wanna pray for us, Good News Church, and then we're gonna end with a song. Lord, we love you so much. I think of that story with that man walking across the, the tight line with a, a wheelbarrow, how I would be so inclined to not want to get in either. But Lord, you invite us to come and put our whole faith, our whole hope, our whole confidence in you. 
Jesus, we thank you that we can look at all that you've done to know that you are faithful, you are trustworthy, and you are able. Lord, I pray in this Christmas season, it would be marked by us putting a deeper level of confidence in the person of Jesus Christ. I pray a blessing over this church now. Or whatever season we may be in, we may feel like we're in a high, high, or a low, low, but God, we would declare that God, you are in control and we trust you. We pray this week that you would use our lives, Lord, as a testimony to the goodness of Jesus Christ. Lord, our words, our time, our talent, whatever we have, we say, God, use us as missionaries, Lord, in this region to, to showcase the goodness of Jesus to those around us. And I pray in it, you get all the glory, all the praise that you deserve. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's worship one more.